I'm Arlen Hamilton, and this is Your First Million. I'm a venture capitalist. I started my fund Backstage Capital from the ground up while I was on food stamps. I have now invested in more than 100 companies led by women, people of color, and LGBT founders. After having raised more than $10 million, people often ask me how I did it. I created this podcast so I could tell you my story and so that together we could go on a journey and speak with some of the most successful people in the world from all backgrounds and walks of life to learn how they got their first million. And who knows, maybe I'll reach my first million in personal capital while I'm recording this series. There's only one way to find out. Let's go. Welcome back to your first million. It's Arlen. I'm coming to you from Sweden right now, actually in Stockholm. I'm very jet lagged, but I'm also uh, really grateful and very motivated. I've spent the last few days here in Europe. I started in Luxembourg, went to Oxford, landed in Stockholm, and I will uh, stop by Paris for a few hours before I head back to sunny Ohio next week. Really um, stoked again, as always, about every episode. Truly, truly excited. I should say that it takes a lot of uh, love to put together each episode so we don't put out episodes that aren't important to us and meaningful and that we think the audience will learn from or gain something from. So this episode is with a cool CEO named Matt. He is the CEO of Map My Customers, the app, sales app. And uh, let me tell you how I met or was connected to Matt originally. This is really cool. So one of his employees, who is a senior account executive at the company named Luis, got in touch by email. And you can do so as well. You can get in touch on the Your First Million website, which is YFM podcast.com. You can do a contact page and suggest guests. So she says, she writes a, a longer email, but I'll get to the part where she suggests this. She says, I've listened to your podcast and I think my CEO would be a great fit to speak practically about how he achieved success building an app for his dad. I wanted to put him on your radar as a potential guest because he has given me, a 30-something Latina with no prior tech experience, a chance to represent his company in an industry that doesn't put us at the forefront unless it's for show. He empowers me and values my input as he does everyone else in the company, whether or not they look like him. That was, of course, intriguing. So we reached out. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. It was definitely slightly different than the conversations we've had on the show in the past. And it was uh, super practical. I think this will appeal to just about everyone, but I think especially if you are frankly a white guy and you're listening to this and you want to know how do you, how do you kind of incorporate a great culture into your company and do it authentically and, and how do you even get started and, and why should you all of that? I think this is really good for you. I mean, it's, if you're listening to this podcast, I think you're already, your eyes are opened <laughs> pretty, pretty wide, but uh, definitely check this out. It'll give you a little bit more. And then it, anyone who's starting a company or has, has a company that is doing, I would say a million to 2 million in revenue or less per year, you'll get a lot of, of actionable insights out of this as well. 
not having to do with with culture, just having to do with running your company, which is what most of us are just trying to do. We're just out here trying to run our company. So this conversation was one of my favorites. It was a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, check it out. Let me know what you think. Tell me your name. Tell me your occupation. Uh, Matthew Sniff, CEO and founder of Map My Customers. This is, of course, your first million. So you are here because your company has made its first million mm-hmm. and beyond. Yep. And because you, I, what I hear is that you do some really... What does your company do if you had to describe it? Elevator pitch. Yeah. Our, I mean, our company is kind of like if Google Maps and, you know, Salesforce had a baby, right? So ultimately we built a product for people who do sales in the field or service in the field. And it's a geospatial productivity tool, right? It it streamlines their workflow when they go about their day selling from business to business or going from place to place in the field. And ultimately is a tool that makes them a hundred times more productive in, in the field. Give me an example of how someone would use it. So the most common use case would be the seller. And so this would be someone who would have a name, you know, a named account list of hundreds of different accounts across a region or a territory that they own. They would use it, you know, wake up in the morning, try to understand where they should be, like be in the right place with the right customer or prospect at the right time. They'd be able to identify very easily on the map. These accounts are red. It's been more than 60 days since I've seen them. Let's go build a route and optimize to get to them all as quickly as possible. One of them cancels an appointment on me. I'll use a lead generation inside of the application right on the map to find a new customer or prospect to go see. Just stay organized, right? Stay productive, identify nearby accounts when they're driving by ones they've already visited. Ultimately, be location intelligent, right? So it's like what we call it is location intelligence as opposed to artificial intelligence. When did you start this company? About five years ago and uh, as of this November in San Francisco, actually. And I'm going <laughs> to I'm gonna guess your age is like 27. How old are you? 26. 26. Yeah, yeah. very good. So you started this when you were right out of college. Mm-hmm. And, and what was your pain point at the time? I mean, it sounds like a very pain point driven company. Yeah. Yeah. My father is, uh, has been a field rep in the blue collar industry of flooring for 40 years. You know, I grew up in Northeast Ohio and he was always selling, quite frankly, what was uh, not the best product in the market. I one, one day I asked him like, dad, why do people buy this chunk from you? Right. It's <laughs> this is the, not good flooring. He goes, Matthew, they don't buy the flooring. They they buy Tom, right? They buy they buy me. And that was really kind of eye-opening to me. But you I mean, fast forward a number of years, uh, I was working as an engineer in my uh, first job out of school at a company called Climate Corp, doing everything from mobile development to Salesforce development for, for them. And it was a great place to be. There was no reason to leave. I came home to visit my family who since relocated from Akron to um, South Carolina coast. And he approached me with a pain point, like, you know, hey, I've got this list of a thousand different accounts from Maine to Florida. I really want to understand where all these accounts are. First off, second off, plan my week a little bit better, plan my month a little bit better. And then kind of it took off from there. Right. So threw it on the app store after about a month or two of developing a prototype and it's just started to sell. Right. And I thought, hey, there's something here. I told myself, I think early 2015, if I can get this to you know, a hundred paying people who are not my 
family, my friends, my neighbor's dog, I will take it full time. And that happened in uh, February of 2016. So it was your dad's pain point that mm-hmm. you got to witness growing up and then was still there when you went back home. Reminds me a lot of Jewel Burks we had on the on the show a few episodes ago, very popular episode where she talked about her grandfather's pain point being mm-hmm. the driving force for her starting part pick, which went on to be acquired by Amazon. And it's just, uh, it's just what I love the common threads that I get to hear about in the, in this uh, podcast series. So 2016 is when you, you sort of hit this, this stride, right? How does someone your age and I'm 38. So I I tend to think of anyone who's under 30 to be sort of like a younger brother or sister, Mm -hmm. or I'm an auntie to anyone who's like 22 and under. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't want to, minimize your work or to kind of belittle you because you're 27, but because a lot of people listening will be 20 and -hmm. looking up and looking further down the line. But how does someone at that age, at 21, 22, on top of deciding to start a company, because I'm surrounded by people who who do that, how do you start thinking about culture that early? What was, was there something that, Mm -hmm. or was it just more organic? It was just like, it was a no brainer because you grew up in this place where, that was just the norm. Yeah, that, that's a good question. I mean, I talked to a lot of founders and um, I listened to a lot of really successful people. Like we were just at Inbound in Boston last week for the HubSpot conference. Yeah, and, I spoke there. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, you know, you saw Darmesh speak and he was talking about how the first six hires at HubSpot were all from white males from MIT and except for him. Right. Yeah. Um, and he was like, hey, we messed up, guys. Right. Um, when I think about how we've evolved, I would be remiss if I didn't say it wasn't pretty natural. Um, you know, my first employee, my first hire, my first two hires or three were all ethnically diverse. I actually, at a certain point, I guess I felt like <laughs> kind of like if I didn't get diversity early on, I wouldn't ever get it. Right. And mm-hmm. I think diversity begets diversity because the first folks you bring on that team are your close confidants to a certain extent. And they know diverse people. They hang out in diverse crowds and that really helps. If you're not aware of it, I mean, we're not perfect by any means. Like we need to do a better job on gender diversity for sure. But if I had to put a number on it, I think over 70% of our team is ethnically diverse at this point. How many people on the team today? About 35 people. And so I understand this is great for the how, because the how is the hardest for people, it seems. Mm -hmm. The how, how do you, how do you find? So maybe we'll dig in there. What's the why though? Were you thinking, and please be frank, were Mm -hmm. you thinking, I, I'm noticing this. I need to go out and do this. Were they just the candidates that you chose? Was it a bottom line thing? What mm-hmm. exactly was your thinking back then? I mean, in, in general, half of it was probably just not even thinking about it, right? And not having that bias. And then half of it was like actively seeking it, right? Like in general, more often than not, a lot of folks who have been born in other countries, for example, like my first hire, you know, Luis Davila, born in Peru, they come from adverse backgrounds. They come from situations that um, were less than ideal and they've had to overcome a lot in their lives. And you know, that speaks a lot because they don't just leave on the drop of a you know hat, right? They're, yeah. not to, they're gonna go through with really tough things through, be there with, with you through the thick and the thin. And that's, there's a certain level of trust there that you develop over time. And you know that doesn't go away, but I certainly am not saying that folks who are ethnically averse 
can't be in situations where they are more entitled. It's just more often than not, I found that they've they've really had something to prove. For and, that, and we're not saying that every single person from Peru has mm-hmm. had a bad life, you know, right, has come exactly. from yeah. because that's what I try to get across too is that underrepresented doesn't mean down and out mm-hmm. and necessarily in every situation, but it's even just your background. It's also just the way you walk down the street every day, mm-hmm. it, it, whether you're a doctor, professor, or uh, a writer, or any anything else what you're packaged in tends to um, inform a lot of your experience as well. What do you think when someone says unconscious bias? Um, I think, I mean, naturally you think why, like why do they have that unnatural bias? Maybe it's their experiences, right? And you're very much shaped by your experiences. I mean, I grew up in Akron, Ohio, not exactly the most glamorous town. Um, You know, one of six kids all within four years of age, twins and triplets and a single in my family. Bless your parents (laughs) and your mama. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And you know, it's, um, it's, are you one? Are you a twin triplet? I'm a twin. You're a yeah, twin. Okay. And I'm also the youngest. Okay. Um, so it's, uh, you know. It, it, so you, you had diversity at your house. Yes, more or less. <laughs> you really did because it was just, that's that's okay. That's interesting. Um, so, you know, you grow up with um, things being out of reach. You grow up with, you grow up not being handed everything. And and you you grow up in a, in a mindset where you're just kind of thinking a little bit differently maybe than than other folks that, you know, I might, I might encounter in a, in a daily basis. So I think you grow up a little bit more humble. I think you grow up a little bit more down to earth and I think you never forget where you come from. And that's a huge part of it. Right. I mean, I talked to a lot of really incredible, successful founders and some of them I really look up to. And some of them, I really hope I never look like that. If if you get what I mean. Hey, podcast listeners, I'm doing a little experiment, as you may have seen online recently. I want to incentivize you to leave a comment on Apple Podcasts and also give you a little gift for doing so, for taking the time out. I want you to leave an authentic review for your first million on Apple Podcasts. And when you do so, send me a message. You can DM me on Instagram. Arlen was here. A-R-L-A-N was here on Instagram. You can reach out to me by email or you can DM me on Twitter. Same handle. Arlen was here. Let me know your t-shirt size, your mailing address, and your full name. And let me know that you filled out a review for your first million on Apple. Right now it's for Apple only. And once you do that, we'll take your information down and we'll get a shirt out to you over the next few days. All right, everybody. Looking forward to seeing you in those shirts. Let's get into the the money because now we're cooking with grease, right? Mm-hmm. You have started, what'd you say, 2014 is when you uh, kicked off? Very end of 2014. Yeah. And then how how many months would, did it take you to start seeing, you said it took one or two months to see that it was working, mm-hmm. but um, how many months did it take you to see like, oh, actually this is going to be my, my career for a while. So I knew I could sustain the company. I took a leap of faith and left my job um, at Climate Corp in February, March of 2016, because I knew I could sustain the company on my own. You know, my background is actually as a developer and designer, right? So I am kind of your jack of all trades type of programmer, right? And so I, I knew that I could, if I could get it to a, a revenue rate that could sustain just myself that I could sustain just myself for a long period of time. And I would at least give myself optionality to bootstrap and continue to grow or bootstrap and then raise venture capital, or even maybe just try to raise venture capital straight out of the gates. And we took the middle option. Um, but I knew I could give myself some options. And if, if, if you were convicted in yourself, which I was that you could at least hold things together, then there really was no other option than to go for it. 
And then what was the tipping point for you? Where it has been so far? I'm sure there's more to come. In terms of uh, what exactly? In terms of like, how many customers do you have, would you say? Or downloads or however you measure that? Yeah, we've had, let's just say over 50,000 users sign up over the lifetime of the platform. And this is paid? Um, 50,000 users, not necessarily paid. We have over 4,000 bank customers. It's like a a freemium sort of model, right? Or how would you describe it? It used to go. It used to be freemium. Yeah. We're currently free trial. Um, Okay, so. so how does someone find it first? Like, I know already people are thinking, I want to try this as we're, as I'm listening to this podcast, mm-hmm. I also want to try this if I'm in sales. What is the name of the app and how do they find it online? It's called Map My Customers. You can go to uh, just Google Map My Customers, click on the first link or look us up in the Apple App Store, Google Play Store, um, mm-hmm. both those locations. And what kind of price points are we talking so we have three different plans. One is for the individual rep. Um, I believe that starts at $25 a month. And we have a middle plan for teams of like five to 10 reps, mm-hmm. right? You use it as a manager, have your reps underneath of you use it. Uh, that plan is like $40 a month. And the enterprise plan is sort of prescriptive. So we kind of consult on your your needs. A lot of the time that includes an integration to their current CRM or ERP platform. And so that's why it's a custom price. Okay. So I'm doing a little bit of math on, on what your what I would guess your hmm. the revenue is. When did you hit where your revenue, your annual revenue was at? You could see that it was going to be at a million or more. That was when we decided to raise venture capital because that's kind of that magic number per se, yeah. right? For, yeah. for raising a lot of money. But that would have been earlier last year, about a year and a half ago. Okay, so that's top of 2018. So two years after you decided to quit your day job, and about three years after you decided to to go for it. Am I am I getting that? Yeah, that's correct. That right? Yeah, okay. Because I know a lot of people who listen to this podcast. One of the th- recurring themes I like to to reiterate is like, don't measure yourself against someone else, mm-hmm. and don't. Th- your chapter two is there. You can't measure that against their chapter ten, et cetera. Um, but in, in some cases, if you're just looking at like strategies and like sort of inside baseball mm-hmm. of how things work. I think it's really fun and interesting to know very specific details about a person's uh, company and their development. So that's why I kind of put a finer point on that. So how did you feel in that moment? Like when you looked, did you, did you, did you notice it when it happened? Did you say, Oh, like this is going to be a banner year for us. Um, yeah. I mean, when we hit the number with the whole team went out for the celebration, um, drinks and whatnot that evening, uh, it was really like a long kind of month or two when we knew we were about to hit it before we hit it. Right. Yeah. And it kind of just stretched on a little bit. But I, I mean, I, I think at that point you're always looking forward. Right. So when Absolutely. you hit it, I think it's important, of course, to take the moment and celebrate the moment. But we knew we really had our work cut out for ourselves to get to the next million. And I think I honestly think the next million is going to be more difficult than the first. Yeah. <laughs> how many how many uh, uh, employees did you have at that point, do you think? You have 35 now, give or take. It was probably, it was in a different form, but maybe 18, 20 people. 18, 20. Yeah. When you say a different form, what do you mean? Just, uh, we had moved the company from Raleigh to New York about a year ago. So mm-hmm. most of our employees were down in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a distributed engineering team a little bit, but not completely. Now we have a completely distributed engineering team. So it's just the company footprint was a little different. Did you go through growing pains when you moved? Yeah, we did. Who doesn't, right? I mean, because um, I see a little, a little something in your in your eye there. Yeah, it's been difficult. I mean, we moved to New York. There's a lot of opportunity here, you know. So the backstory on this is: we started in San Francisco. When I left, uh, moved back east. 
went through an accelerator program called Lighthouse Labs in Richmond, Virginia, was there for about five months, then moved to Raleigh for about two years. And then we decided to move to New York. So it's not very often that you move from like a tier four city to a tier one city because the difference in economics is is there. Yes, Um, absolutely. I mean, I was just in Raleigh, Durham on Monday and flew in and the difference at the airport is, is remarkable. So, Oh yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's much nicer airport. Well, the, smaller, just, but. Yes. But so, so you made the, why did you make the decision to come to, to New York then if it was so much more expensive? Um, well, New York is really the most cosmopolitan city in the world. Um, you know, even comparing it to San Francisco or other tech hubs, it's light night and day. Right. I mean, I think it really enabled us to hire a diverse team. There's no doubt about that. That's a hundred percent true. Not that you couldn't do it in Raleigh, but there's a lot of more opportunity up here. I mean, I think when we're talking about scaling our team, right, and scaling our business, it's always revolving around people. I mean, 70, 80% of my time, you know, at this stage even is just thinking about people, people problems, how we can do better, how we can micro-optimize the culture, and really just thinking about a lot of things that you wish you would have done, right? Yeah. And then things that you feel like you can do to, you know, avoid, avoid mistakes on the people side of things. But, you know, ultimately opportunity with hiring, just a larger pool, more diverse pool, not necessarily more talented pool, just more talented people in terms of gross numbers. Just a lot of that was revolve, revolving around people. So there were some people who just couldn't, couldn't migrate with you. And that there were was, a couple, most yeah. of them actually did migrate. Oh, really? Yeah. That's, that's kind of cool. Which is interesting when you take a lot of folks who grew up in, rural towns in North Carolina or Virginia and have never even been to New York city. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's New York city is not a city you just kind of jump into. I, it's really much easier to kind of habituate yourself to yeah. over time. Right? Ease, yes. Ease. And I should say, I should mention, I do not know the exact date that we're going to release this, but I should, it, uh, I would be remiss to, to not to say that um, today's September 11th. And not only is it September 11th, but we're currently overlooking the former location of the Twin Towers, uh, where we're where we're recording this. So that that has its own meaning to both of us, I'm sure. But it's also kind of really awesome and kind of hopeful to be talking about how you moved here and how you, um, I'm hoping, are thriving here. Did you decide to come here after you got venture funding? Was that the catalyst for it? We actually moved here before we got venture funding. Okay. So let's talk about that story. When did you make the decision to go after venture? Because mm-hmm. number one question I get, uh, number two question after, will you invest in me is, should I take investment money? Should I take venture money? Why, why did you decide to? Um, we just w- want to take the market faster. We have uh, sort of a, a game plan to move into more of the enterprise upstream part of the market. And that requires a different caliber of engineers and that requires a different caliber of go-to-market personnel. So I think ultimately we knew we could get everything we needed in New York. We didn't necessarily need to move to New York. We decided July of 2018 pretty much. And there were just some, some signs on the wall. Like a lot of the talent that we could find where we were was very, very, very senior. We needed a lot of, you know, mid-level talent, if that makes any sense. And there's just uh really thriving ecosystem up here in New York. And, you know, ultimately we did make the decision before we raised venture capital. And I think you decide to raise venture capital to take your market faster, become the market leader, but only when you're really convicted that your product's in a place where you can go to market very quickly with it. Right. Who are a couple of your people that you look at their, their journeys in this mm-hmm. business world? Like for, for instance, I'm, I'm just thinking Aaron Levy, he just sort of 
strikes me as we're talking right now. He's mm-hmm. a friend of mine, investor in our fund, and the CEO, founder of Box.com. Mm-hmm. And I can imagine you've studied a little bit of what he's done. Do you think about others? Like, do you think about people who've gone before you? Or do you kind of just chart your own course? Um, mostly charting own course, right? I mean, ultimately, I think there's a lot to be learned from startup case studies, like reviewing what folks have done, learning from their mistakes. I spent probably a portion of my week getting advice from folks. And, you know, that's really great. We have some close advisors and mentors and investors, you know, just talked with both of our lead investors yesterday, for example. There's a lot of advice that you get. And the hardest thing is that you hear a lot is when to say no to advice and when to take that advice. And I think ultimately we can learn a lot from studying but we really don't have a lot of time as entrepreneurs, right? I mean, you know, just the the point with where I can actually get stuff done in my day is usually beyond the nine to five, right? Absolutely. So it's yeah. it's kind of just a resource thing. Yeah. And so as you look ahead right now, what do you see on the horizon for the next one, two years? Mm-hmm. Um, a lot on our product development side of things. Um, we've got a lot of activity right now on defining our roadmap for our product over the next year to two years. And um, that result of that will really chart the course for our go-to-market strategy as well. It's really hard to say per se what's going to happen because in startups, you really don't know what's going to happen even tomorrow or next week, for example. I mean, things change so fast. And I think the one thing I would say about tying this into venture capital is as soon as you take the venture capital, all of your decisions get magnified, right? It's like, little money, little mistakes, big money, big mistakes. All of a sudden you've got to make a lot of high stakes decisions. And sometimes with not nearly as much data as you'd like to make those decisions. So you make some decisions and you've really got to own those. You've really got to own those. Because people are paying attention now. Absolutely. Yeah. Your timelines for things change, right? They definitely um, crunch down like a whole lot. And even if you're putting in the same amount of effort, the same amount of work as you were before you raised the money, it's totally different. Right. Yeah. Who is your lead investor? Like who is, or is it a fund? It's a fund called Los Olas, actually out of South Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, and then other large investors include Valor Ventures in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. They're actually um, invest mostly in diverse teams, right? And uh, w- women-led teams. I'm not a woman, obviously, but- But they do that. They do. Yes. A, that's mostly what they do. So going back to that, kind of to, to put, close the loop on it, mm-hmm. do you, and again, be frank, do you feel like the decisions you made early on in that diversity hiring mm-hmm. have- at all put you in an advantage today? And if so, how? I think when I think about the ride or die employees on our team, they're all diverse. Yeah. Right. I mean, they're just super committed. And I, and I, it's not to say that the other white males like myself aren't, it's just in general, a lot of our best folks have been diverse, you know, yeah. and, and or I, from diverse backgrounds, from diverse yeah. backgrounds. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And so there's, there's like this tangible, the reason I'm asking and, and putting a, such a fine point on it is that, People have read, they've read about it. They they understand, oh, there's it's more lucrative to have a diverse team. They've seen it. They've seen the headlines. They've, they've heard me screaming about it. They've mm-hmm. heard a lot of people saying it. But it's rare that we get to really talk to someone who can tell you, oh, three years ago I made this decision. And because I made this decision, I can see that, that I'm at an advantage that I wouldn't have been. And someone I think about a lot there is like Satya. Mm-hmm. At, at Microsoft, who they have, I think they have like the number one uh, revenue generating company or some, something to that effect right now or valued company. And 
super diverse. And when he came in, it, it kind of revved that up. They have a long way to go. There's a lot of stuff they can fix there, but he made it one of his top platform issues. So that's where I'm really excited about what you're doing. And as you gain more and more success, proving that out. And just wanted to know on you know this this milestone mm-hmm. on your journey, if that's been the case, if you've noticed that. Yeah, I mean, I think it, a lot of it comes back to hope, like you just talked about with 9-11. I mean, New York is a city of, of hopes and dreams, right? I mean, it's just like America's an idea. I almost think New York is an idea, right? And people out here, especially like the folks on our team from these diverse backgrounds, like they're really hopeful, right? No matter what happens. And um, that's just the way they're wired. They're wired differently. And they know that hope is real. They know that good things can happen and success can be there at the end of the tunnel. And they know what perseverance means, right? So, you know, that's those are the kind of people you're looking for. The kind of people that we look to hire, it's always cultural fit above anything else. It's cultural fit first. Um, and I take a look at the mistakes that we made hiring. We didn't do a good job, good enough job vetting them from a cultural perspective. And a culture to a lot of different startups means a lot of different things. I think it's always a moving target. You try your best. You try your best to be transparent about what your culture is, you know, but ultimately your people define your culture. And so if you pick the wrong people, you're just not going to ever have the culture you're looking for. You yeah. can't force it. Yeah. And if you're someone who's like, well, how do I know how to choose culture or vet for it if I didn't have much of a background? Then you make you know, one of your first or second hire someone who can help you with that. That's mm-hmm. like the hack, I think. You know, you make you make it so that you don't have all the answers. You don't have to figure it out and you have to be the, the expert. But there are so many people who are qualified who could help you be that expert for you. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's a really great way of thinking about it. What are you hopeful for then? In terms of the business, in terms of the people, in terms of... All um, of it. Like, let's start with the business. What are you hopeful for with your business? I think any startup founder, just hopeful to be around for another year, right? And uh, hopeful to be around for many more years. Um, Hopeful that our product meets customers' needs. Hopeful that our team can continue to grow in a diverse way. Hopeful that people see me as uh, not the perfect leader, but a righteous leader, right? Like doing, doing the right things. Hopeful for all that stuff, right? And just, you know, want to do what's best for the company. And then when you think about personal what what gives you hope these days? What gives me hope is the people that we have on our team who I know are there through thick and thin. What gives me hope is knowing that there's a really strong market in front of us. What gives me hope is knowing that we have people that care about that market and care about their product. And if anyone right now, first thing we're going to do is we're going to repeat how they can find you, uh, find the app. Mm-hmm. So how do they find the company? We'll start there. Uh, you can go to mapmycustomers.me or go to the Apple uh, App Store, search for Map My Customers. Uh, likewise, you can go to the Google Play Store and do the same thing. And then if they enjoyed this conversation and they just want to learn more about you or kind of mm-hmm. find out what you eat for lunch, where do they find you on the socials? Probably best place is LinkedIn. LinkedIn. And say say your full name again, because we'll put all of this in the intro. We'll mm-hmm. have it all written out. But if someone's in their car, someone's on the train, someone's on a plane, someone's making dinner, they want to have the name in their head. Uh, my name is Matthew Sniff, S-N-I-F-F, like scratch and sniff. Awesome. Oh my goodness. That's awesome. Thanks so much for, for this conversation. It's yeah. really good to know you. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks as well. It was a pleasure. 
Hey, so I'd love to talk to you and keep the conversation going. Find me on Twitter and Instagram at Arlen was here. That's A-R-L-A-N was here. Stick around too, because I will let you know when my new book is going to be in pre-order. Now that's coming out in the, uh, 2020. It'll be out as the real book. Oh my goodness. And it'll be, you'll be able to pre-order it most likely this year. So stay tuned. I'll let you know all about that on Twitter, on Instagram, and on this podcast. <laughs>